Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. Alright, so again, piggybacking on what we were just considering uh, as far as entertainment and music and, and all of that, and, and I know you like to read some fictional books, we have to understand Luke does not write that way. Luke's not trying to give you a po- poetic account and use you know these these words to attract you to the narrative or anything he's really writing as a historian or a journalist he's giving you the necessary information uh, for you to see within that context all the beauty and splendor uh, which is what you know which Christ is doing so let's go ahead and read through it and we will uh, go back and consider um, each verse in particular Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, which we looked at, to ask alms of those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement what had happened to him. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to, to them in the porch which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you, de- but you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder, murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer... He is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that uh, times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So 
The ninth, these hours that you'll come across, um, some translations just kind of do it for you, which I don't particularly like, because the day really started at dawn, so which we kind of suggest is around 6 o'clock, so we just kind of work it from there. But it's the hour from dawn, so it'd be the ninth hour, probably roughly 3 p.m., maybe closer to 4 p.m., probably closer to the evening sacrifice. You would do two sacrifices, one in the morning, one in the evening. Um, and so this, this is likely uh, b just before the evening sacrifice. Um, the, the beautiful gate, well, the beautiful gate was what we saw just, j just inside the court of the Gentiles. And that's where this man was sitting, uh, is, is just outside of the court of the women. So he's still inside the court of the Gentiles and, and just outside of the court of the women. And that's where he would beg, beg for alms. Alms is really anything for sustenance. It can be uh, silver and gold, which we'll see, or it could be food, any kind of supplies to help this man who can't labor. He can't work. There were no, you know, he didn't have a wheelchair. He didn't have any ability to do any labor. So, and he was lame from birth. Okay, so this miracle is all that much more impressive. You know, it, it, it could be easily suggested if he had twisted his ankle or something that, you know, whatever physician, whatever, you know, healing process isn't necessarily to the extent which if he had been lame from birth, okay? And we have to remember that this man was lame from birth as we go along. Uh, verse 2 is, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they uh, laid daily at the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. Well, we, we also see in the following chapter, in chapter 4, verse 22, that this man was over 40 years old. So he was lame since birth. For over 40 years and so he's that's the life he's lived i mean that's all he's experienced he's never known anything else but to go beg for alms outside of you know uh, his parents taking care of him until he was old enough uh, entered the who seeing peter and john about to go into the temple asked for alms peter and john as jews could so they could walk through the court of the women uh, obviously to get to the center that's what you would uh, need to do uh, the, the man, again, was uh, just outside of the court of women, uh, and yeah, he would have to beg because he couldn't labor. Uh, verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So Peter's, Peter fixes his eyes on the man, and, and this, the Greek, the, the, the Greek is really to look intently, and, and when he says, look at us, it's the same thing. So when, when he's fixing his eyes on the man, it's really to look intently, steadfastly. It's the same word in verse uh, 12, in the same uh, chapter when uh, all the people come running. And he's saying, why do you look at us so intently as if, you know, by our own power and our own piety, we made this man well. Uh, so it's that same word. And it's the same word where, uh, which Christ uses when he says, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery. Is that this that? Uh, intent look. Uh, it, it is the same in Matthew 6, 4, when Christ is commanding that we do our charitable deeds, deeds in secret, that our Father who sees in secret will reward us openly. So it's, it's really fixed eye. It's not just, hey, check it out. Look, take a glance. It's fix your eyes. Um, verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. So the man heeded what Peter was saying. Look at us. And he does, expecting something. Uh, you know, again, he's, he's uh, begging for alms. Uh, so, however, we see in the following verse that Peter's likely uh, telling him to consider who they are. He's saying, look at us to consider who we are, not, not um, 
Not necessarily what do we have, not necessarily anything. What he's saying is don't take into consideration what we have, take into consideration who we are. We are Christ's ambassadors. It's likely, it's possible at the very least, it's very likely, it's more likely than not, this man knew who these, who these apostles were. I mean, I remember I told you the news about Jesus was huge news, and, and these men are, are getting more and more uh, recognized, especially following the ascension. So it's at least probable that he already knew who they were. And so this man is looking for gold and silver when he really should be uh, seeking, to, uh, seeking for treasure to be laid up in heaven, where neither moth destroys nor thief breaks in steel. This is the thing that uh, Christ says. Um, so the world gives alms. The world is who gives alms. Alms is just to, to, to satisfy a particular crave. Christ is the, the abundance. He, he is the, the, the being and the treasure, the king of kings, whom we ought to be really seeking. Uh, this man thought he uh, just wanted, just needed silver and gold in order to live when he really needed Christ. Um, and then chapter, and then verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, Peter and John had neither gold or silver, as he says, uh, but what they do have is, in, is the name of Jesus. Uh, and we'll see in verse uh, 16 how he kind of spells that out. Um, uh, we see in the following chapter also, uh, the, in chapter 4 is really where they, they take uh, Peter and John and they're basically asking them, you know, by whose name, you know, in whose name are you, did you heal this man and all this kind of a thing. And they command them not to be preaching in his name. And we'll see that in our next time. But, uh, but his name causes division. Uh, it, it causes strife. I mean, for, for his people, no, this man is healed, obviously. Notice also that he tells them not only to rise, but to walk. The men who God raises are meant to walk with him. Okay, so the men that bring the, the men that God brings from death to life, or from lame to healed, are meant to walk with Him. His people are meant to walk with Him. Chapter verse seven, and He took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This is a beautiful passage. I think I think it's a beautiful verse because He's obviously, and we'll see. Jesus is the one who's healing this man, but takes His hand and lifts him up. We as Christians obviously don't have the power to raise anybody, but we should be the first one to raise a, a newborn or a reborn soul to their feet to walk with God. We should be the first ones there. And I think that's why this is so beautiful, and I think this is why it's so appropriate. Verse 8, So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. In Isaiah chapter 35, 5 and 6, that uh, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be stopped. Then the lame shall uh, leap like a deer. So this, that, this is a particular fulfillment. Remember when um, at the beginning of Acts, Luke is telling Theophilus, I, uh, you know, uh, remember the former account that I wrote uh, to you that uh, of uh, everything Jesus began to do and to preach, right? Right? Well, this is continuing what he's doing. He's still working in and through his church, and he's still teaching in and through his church. It doesn't stop when he's glorified. That doesn't stop when he's ascended. That's why I continue to uh, say that this is a Trinitarian book. It, yes, it's about what the apostles did technically, but through the empowering of God. 
So this is what Christ is continuing to do. Christ actually referenced this passage of Isaiah, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be stopped, then the lame shall leap like deer. He, he kind of alludes to it uh, when John the Baptist sends uh, some of his buddies, some of his disciples over to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we look for another? You know, he, John's kind of starting to doubt a little bit and Christ basically sees, says, go back to John and tell him what you see. You know, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. Um, and, and, and John would have known immediately what he's referencing and he's referencing Isaiah. There are a lot of references to Isaiah, the prophet, the prophecy of Isaiah. David as well, but two chapters in, in particular, I'd actually encourage you to read. I was going to read them, but they're, they're fairly long. 52 and 53, at least in regards to what we're going to be seeing in the next few weeks. Verses 9 and 10, we're going to do those together. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they uh, knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this man who had never, this man never had the ability to walk. He, he, could never, he didn't even know what it felt like. He didn't know really what his legs felt like. He didn't know, you know, maybe he's got some feeling when he hits it, but he's never, ever stood. He's never been able to move with his legs. And now, he, of course, all of a sudden when he's able to walk, he's jumping around. He's elated. He, he finds it fantastic. He can't help but leap and praise God, and thus all the people cannot help but take notice. They see this man, who, who was lame since birth, risen, able to walk, and able to jump, and he's glorifying God and praising God. The man, thus crippled in sin, so again, try to universalize this. I know this is a particular occasion of him healing, of these, of the Peter and John through Christ, healing this man, but it's also an, it's an allegory, it's a metaphor. We're supposed to see the underlying message in this. We, as sinners, are lame men. We're lame men and women, and Christ is the one who raises us. So we're also blind as sinners, and Christ is the one who gives us sight. We're also deaf as sinners, and God is the one who gives us ears to hear. So it's, we, need to use, we need to see this account, this historical, real account, and see it in our own lives, see it in the lives around us as well. This man, thus crippled in sin, when healed of his infirmity, is a lamp to the darkness. These people are, are, are noticing this man who was, in, in this particular uh, passage, he was lame. He wasn't able to walk. But those outside the church who see a reborn man come from dust and ashes and totally transformed, that man is a light to the darkness. That man is a lamp. That man shows the light of Christ, and, no, and everybody cannot help but take notice. The man who's reborn and stays the same should reconsider whether or not he's reborn. When Christ saves, the man is no longer the same. This man was lame since birth. Nothing could have dramatically changed his life more than being risen to his feet to walk, to leap, Praise God. Verse 11. Uh, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to, the, uh, to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Uh, Solomon's porch was in the court of the Gentiles. So it seems like I, a lot of people think that this uh, lame man was a Gentile. I don't because, again, remember the uh, Christ's command was to uh, stay in Jeru and, and really start in Jerusalem, particularly to the Jews 
and then work your way out. And we will see later once, the, and I've mentioned it, once the Gentiles are saved and receive the Holy Spirit, this is a big offense. So that didn't happen here. So I do believe, I actually believe this man was likely a Jew, uh, but he was lame. And so he couldn't uh, get, first of all, into the inner temple, but as also, it wouldn't benefit him as, at all to be in that inner temple. Most of the people would be outside. You know, most of the people, all the people could go in through the court of the Gentiles. So that's the place to be. Uh, women and men, Jewish men and women could go in the court of women. And then there are even fewer people in the court of Israel or the court of the men of Israel. And so that would be the worst place to be because you're only limited to those people. Does that make sense? So I really do think this is a Jewish man. And notice, though, he's holding on to Peter and John. He's clinging to him. And, and, and I think this is a beautiful uh, illustration of clinging on to the apostles' teaching and clinging on to Christ in particular. When we're, when we're raised in him, when we're saved through him, we must cling on. The clinging uh, means really to hold fast or keep faithfully. It's the same word when the chief priests and elders send... Uh, uh, send men to arrest, Je arrest Jesus, to seize him. It's the, same, it's the same word, to seize Jesus. So this man is holding on for dear life. <laughs> he's, you know, he's not letting this these guys go anywhere you know, until they have to. Uh, you know, this is, again, we have to think about what this was like for, for him and for everybody else who was around. Verse 12, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently? Again, that's the intent look, the look of intensity, at us as though by our own power and godliness we made this man walk. Now, in uh, old rabbinic tradition, uh, spoke of people with such immense piety. So, in particular, if one man, if one man was able to fulfill the law perfectly for one day, not sin at all, so just f perfectly fulfill the law, it would basically obligate God to send the Messiah. That was one of their uh, rabbinic traditions. And so he's basically saying, why do you look at us as though by own, our own piety we've made this man well, because that's really going into the rabbinic tradition, or power. We're, we have no power to raise men. <laughs> you know, It's not by our, our own power, and it's not by our piety. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let us go. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's a huge title. And it's one that's used throughout Scripture, in particular, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Christ uses this to... Okay, so there were two kind of classes of, of uh, rulers of that day uh, who weren't priests. We've all heard of the Pharisees, right? And then there were the Sadducees, who, was, who were basically same, uh, of the same hierarchy, but the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. We'll see that in the next chapter because that's one reason that they go after Peter and John. And, and Christ actually uses this title, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, to illustrate that the resurrection is true. There is a resurrection because God is not a God of the dead, but the God of the living. So when God refers to himself as I am the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, he's not telling whomever, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the God of all these dead guys who are gone now. You know, that, so it, it, and it's essential for the Jew. This goes back to our apologetic. This goes back to knowing who we're speaking to, always knowing who our audience is, always engaging within that context. It's not going to do, do you any good. We see when uh, uh, Paul 
preaches on Mars Hill that I alluded to, uh, he actually uses some of the old philosophical poets of the time because these people know that. And so he's using what, the, you know, what he knows they know. It wouldn't do any good referring to the Old Testament to a Greek philosopher who's never heard, who has nothing to do with Judaism. <laughs> that's not a good, you know, that's not, not going to do anything. Um, so this is a huge title in particular for the, these Jews who are at the temple. Uh, so the God glorified his servant, whom you delivered and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, which I have alluded to before. Uh, Pilate did not want to uh, crucify um, Christ. The, the portion which I was alluding to, uh, and I'll send this to you, uh, about when Christ is saying, you know, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, is in Matthew chapter 22, verses 22 through 33, Mark chapter 12, verses 18 through 27, and Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 40. And again, I'll send this to you. Um, and notice, perf uh, Peter alludes to Christ being glorified. And, this, and let's go ahead and read, well, I'll read. Uh, so this is Isaiah chapter 49 three through 6. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work, is with, and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, is it, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So this is alluding to just what Christ had commanded them. Again, Christ preached and ministered to Jews. And now he's sending his church to minister to the rest of the world. And that's what Isaiah is saying. It's, it's too small for me to, to just bring Jacob back to you. I'm bringing the whole world to you. The whole world is yours. So, yeah, Christ has been glorified to restore Israel and as a light to the Gentiles. That he should be the salvation to the ends of the earth. Go to verse 14. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. This should go, well, and we'll do that here in a second. Again, uh, the Holy One and the Just One are, are titles that Isaiah really uses throughout his prophecy. So again, he's, he's pointing back to Isaiah just using these titles. Here, Peter is cutting to their core. Again, he's using Isaiah, but he's cutting to who these people are. Uh, he's, not, he's not softening the blow at all for their conscience sake. He's deliberately striking mightily for Jesus' sake, for Christ's sake. Uh, this goes back to... We ought to be, we don't want to be offensive to people, but we also don't want to hold anything back. When, we're, when we are sharing and, and, and proclaiming Christ, we don't want to hold anything back. Again, we don't want to offend. We don't seek to just force somebody to believe that's not going to do anything. Um, however, we don't hold anything back. Uh, and we'll, we'll look more into that as we go along. Verse 15. So, obviously... Lamented how chapters and verses are divided. This one, I think the guy was sleeping. I don't know what happened. He got drunk and passed out. This is obviously in the middle of a, of a sentence so, and goes with the former one. So these two should definitely go together. So verse 14, but you deny the Holy One and the just and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. 
verse 15, and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. Obviously, those two go together. It's ironic that they've asked for a they murderer and then they killed uh, the author of life. That The word author there or prince uh, could also be, uh, it, the Greek is archelego. Uh, the the it comes actually from the, the word arche or ark. Uh, so think about an archangel. He's kind of the head angel. Arch nemesis. He's kind of the head nemesis. Uh, so it's the lead. It's the head of everything. So he is the head of life. He is the author of life. He is the prince of life. And so um, uh, the, obviously it's a tragic irony that they were asking for a murderer and to kill uh, the author of life. Uh, however, you know, here we'll see in verse 16, Peter quickly uh, moves to the resurrection. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see, uh, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith uh, which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Well, he goes to the resurrection after that. So we'll see um, in later accounts that Jesus' Jesus's name is not some formula. It's not some generic formula that, you know, if you just say in Jesus' name, then it's going to work. Uh, you know, uh, in, in the occasion, uh, in chapter 19, verses 13 through 16, we'll see uh, Sceva's seven sons, and I know who you don't know who that is yet, uh, and uh, other J Jewish itinerant exorcists try to uh, exorcise demons and just say, uh, in the name of Jesus, and then they say, in the name of Paul, and the demons say, uh, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And then they get attacked and uh, stripped of their clothes and run out, and, and we'll see that. Uh, verse, but yeah, uh, the name of Jesus is not some magic formula. Uh, verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance as, as did also your rulers. Now the ignorance would not excuse their sin. It's not just because, you know, it's, he's not suggesting that, you know, I know you did it in ignorance, so it's all good. No, he's saying, you know, I understand you. So he's kind of, he's softening it a little bit. He's, he, he's given them the room for conviction. So I know you did this in ignorance, and one of two ways, one of two things are going to happen. You notice that you did it in ignorance and don't care. You're indifferent. You found that you still find that it was per perfectly uh, proper and perfectly appropriate. Or, <laughs> you know, you'll know you'll, and you'll notice that you did it in ignorance and be repentant, be uh, convicted, and repent and turn to God. Verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all His prophets. prophets that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Again, um, this is self-same uh, illusion Christ made following his resurrection. I have uh, some verses that uh, y'all can check out regarding that, and I'll, and I'll send this to y'all anyway. Uh, but let's go to verse 19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That refreshing is also something that Isaiah alludes to. Isaiah is filled throughout this sermon, which is appropriate, which is something we need to take notice of and consider, in particular with uh, Jewish our Jewish counterparts, our Jewish brethren, uh, who we're still called to seek. Verse 19. Uh, oh, yeah, I already said. So, And I've already belabored uh, how... Peter really calls for repentance uh, and a turning away and turning from, and it's not this whole. And notice also, Peter doesn't begin with Jesus. He doesn't be begin to proclaim, and he doesn't, he doesn't begin his witness ever with Jesus. It's always with God, and with God is and, and, and the fulfillment, and then what Christ is doing in that fulfillment. But he begins with God, and then goes to Jesus, and that's very important. That's, that's the proper formula, for lack of a better way of putting it. 
um, verse 20. Again, we get in the middle of a sentence, which is fun. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who, uh, who was preached to you before. Let's read a, couple of, a few passages. We're going to be in Isaiah 32, verse 15. And that is, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. And then we'll go to chapter 44, verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry land. I will pour my spirit on, on uh, I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And finally, chapter 59, verse 21. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit who is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, says the Lord, from, from this time and forevermore. That's about us. He's speaking to Christ, he's speaking, to, you know, and, and he's saying, never will this de- depart from you, neither from you or your descendants and your descendants' descendants. All your people and all the people who your people are calling to be your people. <laughs> and and all, So it belongs to everybody. Um, so, uh, and again, I'll give you those illusions as well, or those uh, verses as well. This refreshing is the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, which is which again just happened in the last chapter, in chapter 2, which we considered uh, last week. All of that culmination, all of, the, all of the anticipation, the end of Luke's gospel, Christ's ascension, we, which we considered, led to that day of Pentecost. And now this, this is the church continually growing. Okay, This is, the, this is kind of the next uh, main storyline within that uh, uh, framework. Let's go ahead and look at verse 21. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So the restoration of all things also, again, is alluded to in, uh, in Isaiah. So the refreshing uh, in the previous verse, in verse 20, or I'm sorry, in verse 19, where it says, so the times of refreshing, that's the spirit coming. And then the, ty- the time of restoration is really the last day. That's when Christ returns. And, and, so we also have to be cognizant of that with the Jew as well, uh, where, you know, the, one of the reasons they don't believe Jesus was the Messiah or is the Messiah is because all of that wasn't fulfilled when he came. They're wondering where the peace is. They're wondering where's the, where's the, the mighty ruler and the mighty warrior to, uh, you know, uh, conquer all of our enemies and, and reign and rule on, on the earth, which Christ came to do uh, to fulfill the this part of it the 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 refreshing and sending his spirit until the time of restoration but jews have a big problem with that and 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 we we need to be cognizant and notice what peter's saying here and point them back to isaiah and to moses and to uh to all the prophets but yeah that restor- restoration is really when christ comes again and also notice it says heaven must receive christ until the end again notice the necessity which I was mentioning last time with the ascension, that glorification is his ascension. Let's look at verse 22 and 23 together. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul uh, who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. He's obviously uh, alluding to Christ here. Uh, Moses said that Moses that God had promised that he's going to send a prophet just like Moses. We've talked about this, and, and that's what's going on here. Now, whoever's not going to listen to him uh, is destroyed from among uh, his people. Verse 24, Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many have spoken, uh, have also foretold these days. After, 
after uh, Moses, after the Mo- Moses' death, and after the the prophetic ministry of Moses, the next book is Judges, and they they briefly mention one prophet there. Samuel is really the next prophet, uh, next great prophet recorded, and that begins in the first book of Samuel, um, conveniently enough. Um, verse twenty five: You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Remember, that, that, that seed is the promised seed. Remember that in the garden when uh, God promised, that he says, you know, the, the serpent shall bruise his heel and he shall bruise his head. That's the seed of the promise. promise and that's who, that's who Christ is. Um, and, and Peter's concluding uh, with, with, with an appeal to their sonship, to their being sons of the prophets and of this covenant so he's appealing to their sonship to their to their national sonship but as it relates to the true sonship under god uh is is what he's really appealing them to the the covenant made with abraham regarding his descendants which really are born of the seed of the promise not from the seed of abraham 26 to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning everyone away from you, uh, any, every one of you from your iniquities. Uh, as Christ has mandated, they were to begin with the Jews. Uh, this, that's why in, in Paul's letters, he refers to the gospel being first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. But he also speaks of you know, the wrath being first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Because again, Christ's mandate is to begin with the Jew and work out to the Gentile. Now, again, though, the, the double-edged uh, sword of the gospel pierces both ways. It's good news, and it's also very bad news. It's, it's redemption, and it's wrath. Um, and that's what, he's, um, that's what he's alluding to. Uh, the blessing is repentance uh, and forgiveness. What, what he's doing throughout, and what we'll see uh, throughout the book of Acts, is really the proper proclamation of Christ and they they really never really start with Christ they lead to Christ they start uh, with first of all um, the assumption of the person and even given certain truths from that per- that person when we, when we'll when we see Paul later on again on Mars Hill and he uses the poets well one of, I don't think he's actually quoting the prophet the poets however uh, one of them is supposed to be uh, in him we move, uh, we live and move and have our being. And he's using the, what they already knew, what they had read from their poets, and preaching from there. Okay, and that, and then he introduces Christ and him being a fulfillment and the being, the the supreme being, in whom we have being. Um, uh, so again, also, as I've already alluded to, uh, Luke was talking about, you know, in the former account that I made. Uh, Theophilus of everything Jesus began to do and to preach this is his continuing ministry okay in this book is his continuing ministry in the spirit which is Christ which is God the Father the Father and the Spirit do nothing apart from the Son and the Spirit do nothing apart from the Father that's why they're one that's why they're one they're perfect unity who all who act as one Okay, when, 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 again, remember when we were considering the ascension and Jesus is saying, basically, he's going to send the helper for you know him, for he dwells with you, that was Christ, and will be in you. That's also Christ. And he also says, you know, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will come and make my home with you. My, the Father and myself will come and make our home with you in the spirit. 
See, they're all the same. <laughs> Great physician, thou who heals by who thou art. Sweet incision, which cuts into our heart. Death and sin, which plague us, tis thee who raised from graves. For it is thee who made us, and tis thee by whom we're saved. Take our withered frame at last, and bend it to thy will, that we might leap and hold thee fast, our cups thou overfill. Risen to walk with God our King, to dance with our bridegroom, risen to with angels sing, we pray thy day come soon. O come, our Lord, we bid thee, thou blessed Christ above, let not but, th but thine forbid thee, till we rest in thy endless love. Thank you for listening to CF Fire Ministries podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.